0: Going on, everybody. Welcome into a Wednesday night edition of Texans All Access. One day away from NFL Draft 2021, we will have you covered right here on Sports Radio 610. I, your host this evening, John Harris, football analyst, southern reporter, draft—whatever you want to call me—will be here for the in, the entire the duration, starting at six o'clock. Right here, we'll have a Texans All-Access show for an hour. The draft will kick off at 7 with Mark Vandermeer, myself, and Andre Ware. Friday, we will come back at 6 with Mark Vandermeer, myself, and Clint Sterner. And then on Saturday, starting in the morning, which I believe is at 11, Sean Pendergast and myself to start, myself and Mark Vandermeer to finish. We will have Nick Casario on Friday night. We'll have Nick Casario on Saturday night as well. And we will also have him on tonight. We'll get to that in just a bit. But this is one of, even though the Texans are not picking as of now in the first and second rounds, it's one of the crazier drafts I can remember. Whether there's misinformation out there about this crop of quarterbacks, that has just been phenomenal. This group of quarterbacks is as good as we've seen one through five. Trevor Lawrence, we know, is going one. We presume Zach Wilson's going two. Does the draft really start at number three in San Francisco, where Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch made a big move up to go get another quarterback? Does Jimmy Garoppolo then stay in San Francisco? Are we all alive on Sunday? There's so many questions, and they at least get answered on Thursday night. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Now, I know most of you want to know what the Texans will do. Well, in this choose-your-own-adventure novel that is the NFL draft, getting all the way to number 67 and having some sort of clue of what's going to happen, uh, completely out the window. No idea whatsoever of what's going to happen at number 67. You can play all the different scenarios. You can look at your board, talk to your scouts, which I know Nick Casario has done, and try to figure out what could happen. There will be at least five to seven players that the Texans draft room will look at each other and go, they drafted him in a second? Him in a late first? Oh, this bodes well for us. That's going to go on. I can promise you that will happen. And by the time they get to number 67, the Texans will have a decision to make. Take a pick, move down. What do you want to do? This draft, maybe more than any others, is as intriguing as anything we've seen in the draft. It'll be the third year out of four. With our first-round pick, it'll be the second out of four without a first and a second. But that'll all change next year. But once we get to number 67, that's all behind us. Then it's make eight picks, maybe. Maybe it'll be less. Maybe it'll be more. We'll see what happens. But it all starts tomorrow night right here on Sports Radio 610. Me, Mark, Andre Ware, Clint Sterner, Sean Pandergast, Tyler Milner, Producers galore. There'll be all kinds of people with this draft, and it will be a blast. And I'll be here for, uh, I'll be here for the whole thing. It's always fun and it's grueling and it's exhausting. I'll also alert you to our draft day live shows over at HoustonTexas.com. We will have one starting at five o'clock on Thursday tomorrow. We will have one at four thirty on Friday, and then nine o'clock on Saturday. So you can go to Texas.com. Obviously, you'll keep it locked in here to Sports Radio 610. Listen to Sean and Seth, uh, to Landry and Lopez, and to Show and Clint. Always keep it locked in to them for sure. And then, of course, we take over from 6 to 7 this week. And this weekend, we take over for a little bit longer than that because of the NFL draft. So it will be fun. I don't know if fun is the word that Nick Casario would use. But... It is going to be kind of exciting. It's his first one. It's the first opportunity for him to call to Cleveland and say, hey, write this name down on a card, and he's going to be able to do that often. I know he's looking forward to it. You know why? Because we talked to him, and we asked him about that. Here is GM Nick Casario one night before the draft, and I think Nick gives a little bit of hint into what he might do at number 67 when I ask him about the strength of this draft. Being in the kickers.
1: (laughs) Ha ha. Let's go. Nick, take us through a little bit of, of the process here. What's it been like getting ready for this draft with your staff, with the coaching staff? You guys have been entrenched for a little while now.
2: Oh, it's been awesome, Mark. We've uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, collectively, both staff kind of independently with the coaching staff, kind of getting some of their feedback and some evaluations on some players and interfacing that with some of the things that we've accumulated at this point from the scouting side and just trying to you know bring those two together so that we're just trying to identify kind of the right players that we think we like, or would be able to have, we think hopefully some role in some capacity for our team, whatever that looks like. So There's a combination of factors that go into it, but I think the work that Lip and and Baz and their respective staffs have done to to get us to this point um, has been exemplary. So, you know, we're excited about the opportunity in front of us, and we're just going to try to maximize our our picks whenever those are and just be prepared to pick, like, whenever that is. So, it could be, you know, probably not until much later on Friday, but, like, we're, you know, looking forward to it and just trying to take advantage of the opportunities that we have in front
0: of us. Nick, obviously last year we had a combine, but no pro days. This year we've had pro days, but no combine. Do you find one better than the other or just different?
2: Uh, It's a good question, John. I would say probably more different, but I don't think like the information or the evaluation specifically from the workout standpoint is any different, right? I think the beauty of the combine is that he had a centralized hub, right? And location where there was 300 or so players ish roughly, right? So you're able to accomplish a number of different things, right? Interviews, meeting with players on a face-to-face basis, medicals, and then on-field, right? So you're able to do that all in one spot. This year, it's a little bit more fragmented, right? Because essentially, you have the pro day, which you get the on-field, right? But there's nothing else that could take place at the school. And the medical. There's 150 that went to Indy. So you're getting that information, right? And you're doing the interviews over Zoom, right? So it's a little bit more disjointed and in terms of how you have to do it but you're still trying to arrive at the same end point. So the beauty of the combine, it's just kind of centralized. It puts everything in one spot. This has just been a little bit different, but I wouldn't say that it's been less effective.
1: Nick, when you make trades, obviously you have to do it so fast with so little time between picks. Do you lay the groundwork ahead of time for potential deals? How do you handle that in advance, or do you just wait till you're doing it on the fly? It's a really good question, Mark.
2: Um, we've done it kind of both ways in the past, right? And depending on where you're picking, right? Trades are so player driven, right? So a lot of that is contingent upon what happens in front of you and as the players come off the board. So we're at 67 right now, right? So to try to make any calls about trades or moving is probably not realistic at this point, but again, if you get to a certain point, you're looking at X number of spots and you're looking at some of the resources that you have. Okay. How much is it going to take for us to get here? Uh, There's a specific player that we want. All right. Is it, is it actually feasible for us to do it? Right? So you, you, we've handled it both ways. We've done it both ways. Um, But those are very organic. I wouldn't say there's necessarily a set formula to them.
0: Nick, maybe you can help me with this too, because as I've gone through kind of my own analysis for the draft, one of the things that I, I I get to this kind of stopping point at certain points about players, and I'm not sure what to do, and that's the opt-out situation, when players opted out, and there were all kinds of them, ones that opted out back in June, there were some that opted out before the season started, there were some that opted out right in the middle of the season, or with two or three games left to go. I haven't found kind of my own methodology for how I want to factor that into their ranking or their slotting. How have you looked at the opt-out situation? Is it case-by-case, or do you have kind of a universal thought on how you look at it?
2: John, it's a good question. Um, You just have to go off whatever information that you have, right, and just make the best assessment, right? So the players that opted out just have less, I would say, playing experience recently, right? So do you penalize them for that, or if they made an individual decision – Do you penalize them and use it as a negative mark against, well, like he wasn't there for his teammates or just something like that. Right. Which sometimes there are some of those statements again, case by case, look at the player, look at the information. You have hopefully 2019 that you can evaluate and then you benchmark it versus 2020. And maybe you don't, and even the the players that played in 2020, right? Like some teams played four games, some teams played five, other teams played 10. So it's not apples to apples, right? So you just look at those situations. And again, You're just trying to make as good of an assessment as possible with the, like we can't make up the information, right? So just, you can only go off of what you have. So you just take what you have. All right. Maybe it's a little bit less than you might have for somebody else, but that's okay. It shouldn't necessarily factor too much into your ultimate decision. Um, But again, it's just makes it a little bit more challenging. And, you know, you just try to, they just have less, you just have less to go off in, in those particular situations. That's
1: all. I know you were asked about this, but I always find it fascinating need versus best player available. And if there's a really good player available, but you really don't need that player. Do you think about dropping down because you might need another position group, a few picks down? You think, well, I could drop down here. And those decisions have to take place so quickly. So how do you handle all of that, Nick?
2: Yeah, Mark, it's a great question. So what you have to do is you're working through the draft and the players are coming off, right? And you're kind of looking at the players graded at different levels, right? So you're kind of looking at supply and demand, right? I don't want to like simplify this to basic economics, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you're looking at one position. All right, we have three or four guys here. Okay, if we lose this one, like we still might have a chance if we did this, right? Okay, is it worth moving back? You get an extra pick, or you know what? Don't want to risk it, right? He's too good of a player. Like we have a consensus. Coaches like him. Scouts like him. Like he's a good person. He's got good traits. Okay, how smart are we to kind of get too cute, right? So again, you just have to assess the information real time, and then just look at whatever the alternatives are, and then decide like, okay, what makes the most sense at
0: that time. Nick, you mentioned it a little bit in your press conference, and I know people around here don't love talking about Julian Edelman, but I think there's something to be learned from his draft in 2009, where he was a quarterback, but you guys knew he wasn't a quarterback. You weren't totally sure what you were going to do with him. What sort of did you learn from Julian Edelman, the player, and how did you factor that factor that into future drafts?
3: Yeah,
2: I mean, look, credit goes to Bill on that one because he kind of you know had the vision, but I would say it's just you're just looking for good football players, right? I think sometimes you get caught up in certain measurements, height, weight, speed. Okay. This guy lacks length. You know, I would say just my experience and I would say even like in the case of the Texans, right? Like some of our better players, like Brandon cooks, he's one of our better players. Right. I think we yeah. all can agree on that. Okay. He's five, nine, 190 pounds with elite speed. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like he's a good football player. Right. So because he's not, you know, six 220 pounds, like again, you can't get caught up in that. Right. So, yeah. In Edelman's case, like he had good athletic traits, and again, you took a guy in the seventh round. It's not like you didn't know, and he made himself into the player he ultimately became because of his work ethic, because of the coaching that he received from his position coaches, and just his overall willingness to improve and get better. Right. So, what you want to see on a on any player, and especially players like that who might be transitioning, is this their willingness to embrace that change, their willingness to improve. And the only way that you're actually going to get better is you have to work at it, right? And it's not going to happen overnight. And in his particular, it took him four or five years ultimately to get to a
1: point where he was able to have some sustained success. But you mentioned it uh, talking to the media, Nick, about is the guy going to go to work or not? And how difficult is that to identify as a college kid? Is he going to put the work in? Because they all need to get better as they get to this level. So how do you see that in somebody?
2: Mark, that's probably one of the, the hardest things to ascertain, right? Because you don't know how, how they're going to respond to some of the other elements that come along with being a professional football player, right? Mm-hmm. There's a few more distractions, there's some other things that can kind of lead you astray, right? There's more competition, like nobody's on scholarship, like you go from being on a roster of 80 to 5 to 90. Okay, you, you get to keep 53 players on your team and another 12 on your practice squad. So basically let's call it, you can work with 65, 70 players, right? So are you doing enough on a day-to-day basis to uh, account for one of those spots, right? Do you deserve one of those spots, right? So nobody's handed anything regardless of where you were drafted or where you were picked. Again, that's not going to be our mindset, right? It doesn't really matter what round he's drafted in, where he comes from or how he gets here. It's about what you do when you're here and the sooner those players realize that and understand that the better off they're going to have the uh, chances they're going to have for success. Right. But I, you kind of articulated it. That's the most difficult thing and that's, you can't measure it and you don't really know it until you actually see it. And they actually get here. Right. And that, that's probably one of the more challenging things that you face because you can only rely on so much information. He's a great kid. Oh, he was great. Okay. Well that was in college, right? This is a totally different situation. How are they going to adapt? How are they going to adjust? And do they actually embrace this as a profession, which is what it
0: is? Nick, where do you see the strength via position in this draft? It feels like it's a great receiver draft. Obviously, four quarterbacks could potentially go top four. Where do you see the strength in this particular draft class?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's like a popular question every year. I'd say there's different pockets of different players, you know, throughout – you know, throughout the certain positions, I would say have a little bit more depth than others. I'd rather not get into like what certain positions, John, but there are certain positions. There's a little bit more volume, a little bit more depth. Um, But again, you can really hopefully find football players throughout. And again, once you kind of get into that, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, I mean, you could probably lump fifth to free agents, you know, undrafted free agents in the same bucket. You know, there's a little bit more hit or miss with that group. But the, hopefully there's enough players to get you to the end point. And there's probably going to be some good players that weren't drafted. I mean, it happens all the time. And everybody's looking, going, how oh, did this guy not get drafted? <laughs> yeah. You know, what? Ha- it happens every year, right? So there's like, there's no rhyme or reason. Again, that's why the draft, it's just, there's no exact science to it.
0: It's okay. Oh you gosh, can, you don't have to tell us about the depth of the kickers in this draft. It's okay. <laughs> we know it's great. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Kickers <laughs> are going to be great. Got it.
1: Nick, how are you guys going to spend Thursday night? Are you in the war room like it's uh, picks as usual? I'm barring a trade. You don't have any picks in the first round. So how do you spend Thursday night, night one of the draft?
2: We're going to have a staring contest. We're going to have beanbag <laughs> toss. No, I mean, again, I
1: think one the good thing for us is just kind of go through our process, right?
2: You know, mm-hmm. set up the team boards. If there's trades that happen, okay, how do we move? So going through our process, like we can still simulate that and go through it and just understand there's going to be probably – you know, 55, 60-ish players that are going to come off over Thursday to Friday evening. And, again, you know, you want to be respectful of the process. And there's certain things that we can do. We can have some discussions about maybe some particular players or, again, just trades happen. Okay, what was a trade? Okay, and just go through the mechanics this way when we actually get to that point whenever we pick. You know, it's kind of seamless, and we just haven't sat
1: there, sat around and, and done nothing, which hopefully we won't do. <laughs> Well, we appreciate the time very much, Nick. Thanks a lot for joining us. Best of luck in the draft.
0: Thanks, Mark. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. One thing about a new GM, you notice it, and you will notice it in Atlanta, Terry Fontenot. you notice it here with Nick Casario and other places where there's a new GM. You don't know their tendencies. You don't know exactly the way they think, what they're looking for. So it's going to be fun to see what Nick and his staff value differently than GMs before him. It's going to be fun, no question. All right, Drew and I got together for In the Lab this week, and we decided to share some draft stories. Mine dates back 13 years, and if you know anything and have followed me for a while, you know where this one's going. But it was fun to talk about nonetheless because it has turned into one of my favorite drafts of all time. That's next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Welcome back to this draft night eve edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio mobile version, hopefully for just a short time longer, but we're still there. Just read where a third of the Texans are getting vaccinated, so we could speed this up, people. We can get where we want to go, hopefully by the end of the summer, and NRG Stadium can be packed again for 2021. Mainly, we need to keep people safe. But... That's for a different time, but we will get together at Sports Radio 610. Names I've mentioned before, Mark Vandermeer, Andre Ware, Clint Sterner, Sean Pendergast, and myself, John Harris, your host, football analyst, silent reporter, draft uh, connoisseur, if you will. Talking a lot of draft tonight, one night away, 24 hours away from Starting to figure out where everybody's going to go after Trevor Lawrence. You Imagine that Zach Wilson will go number two, you think. So the draft starts at three. But maybe the Jets have a curveball ready for everybody. And it would be a curveball if it's not Zach Wilson. Then you will see the draft go apoplectic. If it goes Lawrence Wilson, it may still go apoplectic at number three. But, man, if Wilson doesn't go to the Jets, it's going to get all kinds of crazy in Cleveland and throughout the NFL at that point point now Drew Doherty will not be in Cleveland because we don't have a first or second round pick at this point I don't presume we're going to but each year that we have first round pick Drew goes to that location but without a first or second round pick he is not going to go he has in the past and we talked about that and some of our favorite draft moments from the past And part of it for Drew was getting to go to the draft, interviewing prospects, uh, interviewing draft picks the Texans have made. Mine dates back to 2008. Here's our In The Lab crew with a little ITL
3: for you on draft eve. Well, we're finally here. It's the week of the NFL draft. It's where the guy waving his hands, John Harris makes uh, i don't want to say you make your money but you you, know, <laughs> you make some hay you get a lot of notoriety it's kind of your you know your favorite time of the year your your time to shine and it's our time to chit chat a little bit about the draft here on in the lab but first things first how you been man
0: i've been okay i've not gone in my cave yet yep. so i mean i've been in it at various times throughout this whole thing so it's been it's all, I don't know, it's, it, it's a process I, I enjoy. I enjoy the, all of it, Senior Bowl. I missed going to Pro Days this year because they didn't allow media to be in the building at right. times, and so that kind of stunk. Because I, I love the Pro Day process. I know there's some scouts like, uh, Pro Day, this guy can't play, that guy can't play, why am I going to Pro Day to see him? But I love that process, I love everything about it. So it all culminates this week, and finally, it, here's, my, here's my, the only fear that I have, Drew, is the Texans make a pick and I'm like, I got 500 prospects. I don't have that guy on my list. What, <laughs> I don't have that guy, my list. where's he on my list? Um, because if I have a guy rated too low, I'll explain why I have him rated too low. If I'm rated high, that's great. Hey, you know, we got somebody, sure. you know, last year, you know, Ross was, I think in, I uh, had him in the top 20, I think, and he went number 40 and I still think he's got a good future ahead of him. He's got to make some changes. I think this defensive scheme will help him, but, you know the probably the best one was Justin Reed you know Justin had a number 44 and then he goes at 68 and i remember i got the text from you actually that night and you were like it's Justin Reed and i was like wait he hasn't taken yet and i went and looked and i was like oh my gosh and i looked saw so he's at number 44 on my board and uh he's been he's been more than 44 man he has been really really good so it's been it's fun so looking forward to it and hope you are as well we're going to get a chance to do some uh, draft zooms together live, which would be kind of cool.
3: I want to talk now about uh, one or two of our favorite Houston Texans draft moments. (laughs) And cool. For me, there's a clear delineation. So I joined the team in August of 09. So I missed that draft. So the first draft I covered was 2010. And so in 10, 11, 12, and 13, I was in Houston and we would, you know, be in the press box for the most of the draft. And then we have the press conferences and whatnot. But then starting in 14, I got to go to the actual NFL yeah. draft. That year it was in New York. It was the last year it had been in New York. And then 15 and 16, it was in Chicago, which, I mean, I still think Chicago just done the best job with the draft. Yeah. That's my personal favorite. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia was really, really cool. I like that in seventeen and Mm -hmm. 18, I did not go because we didn't have a first-round pick. First-round pick, yeah. That was in Dallas, and I think that would probably be like, whatever. I've I've been there, done that. (laughs) 19 was fun. It was Nashville. It was Titus Howard, but he wasn't at the draft. So I didn't go last year because of COVID. Not going this year because there's no first-rounder. But um, I've always – so Houston, being back, doing that, I think one of the most fun times I had was actually 12. And that was a year, you know, they're coming off of the playoff run and the Texans yeah. were they, they were Super Bowl contenders. They thought and everyone thought, hey, you're getting Matt Shaw back to go with this defense. You got a running game. They've got a chance. They you know, came up short, but they started out like a house of fire, 11 and one before what you know we all were, we all know happened. And they kind of faltered down the stretch. But that offseason, there was so much optimism. And it was like, yeah, just take the best guy available. You know, there there are some needs, but can't go wrong. And yeah, you can say that about every year, but you were a pretty stacked team. You thought. And I remember I'd done all the research and I thought, well, it looks like this guy merciless who led the the, the nation in sacks, led the nation of force fumbles. He could be around at that time. That'd be fun. And there were a few other guys that you looked at. And then when they actually took him, it was pretty exciting because, you know, he had skins on the wall. He'd done it at a high level. I got to meet yeah. him and his family at the airport the next morning yeah. and kind of you know, document their journey. I shook his hand when he came out of the, the holding area and put the microphone on him and said, Welcome to Houston, da 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 da. It was really cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, he's turned out to be a pretty darn good Houston Texan. He's had a nice career, but it was fun being a part of that at the outset and seeing how that all went down. That was my favorite pre going to the draft moment. What, what's been your favorite, you know, Houston Texans wise draft moment since you joined the team? Well, my favorite happened six
0: years before I joined the team. Right. And I say I was, favorite now.
3: I was skirting around the Dwayne I'll Brown. Tell it. Yeah.
0: No, it's okay. I'll, t- I'll tell it because I know. It, it really has taught me a, a great story. Um, and so, so for people that, you know, before I came to the Texans, I was at a competing radio station in town. We had just started a station called 1560 and we had a. A lot of luminaries. We had Lance Zerline, who's now at NFL.com. He's yep. still over there. John Granada was over there. Sean Pendergast was my first co host. And Lance and I have been doing a draft for a long, long time together. And I was always, I was always envious, so I'll admit it. I was envious of the fact that he got to do the draft live and talk about it live. And I was just like, man. So in 2007, I joined the station and was like, oh, yo, 2008, we're going to do the draft together. So I am, I am geek. So, <laughs> We go to this place called Nick's Place. We're doing it there. We're watching everything unfold in the 2008 draft, and we're just riffing off one another. And Sean's driving, and me and Lance are just, you know, rat tat 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 tat. -tat. So it's coming up time for Texas to pick. And I want to say they traded down, if I remember correctly. So they move, I think they moved back. They moved back. So now it's amping up a little bit more. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was for Joe Flacco. So I'm amped up, like, what's going to happen? And Lance looks at me, and he goes, and he shows me his phone. And it says it's going to be Dwayne Brown. I look at him like, no, because I had seen Dwayne tribal. And I was impressed physically, no question. But as I watched him, I'm like, God, I can't. this guy's not a first-rounder. Like, I can't believe this. The pick goes up. It's Dwayne. But I lose my ever-loving you-know-what. And because I because I could, you know, I was, you know, young and dumb and stupid, and I don't know. I think I was 35 at the time. Anyways, 36. I don't know who's counting. Anyways, I just lose it and I lost it for another couple of days. And it was just, and I remember making the comment, I do remember this distinctly. I was like, you know, Dwayne Brown might go to five Pro Bowls for all I know, but I just don't see a guy that can really step in and play right away and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think he's gone to five Pro Bowls. (laughs) So the what makes the story better I guess is for me at least is a couple of years later as Dwayne is starting to evolve into a player, Lance messing with me went to Dwayne Brown at a practice and said hey, my buddy doesn't like you very much talking about me And so I'm like oh thanks Lance And so Dwayne kind of looks at him like you know what do you mean you know so they start talking and so Dwayne eventually – so Lance tells a story because essentially after we drafted Dwayne, I had a whole booklet of DVDs. At this time, he had an MP3 or MP4s to watch. Uh-huh. So I pull out my DVDs and I find Virginia Tech game. I pop it in. I would already watched it, but I'm like, I got to see this. So I'm watching the game. I'm getting frustrated watching him. And so Lance tells him, like, yeah, during the draft broadcast, he's like pulling up your game. And he goes, what game did he have? And he, go- and he goes, well, I think it was the Boston College game. And Dwayne's like, oh, that was a bad one for me. So I felt sort of validated in some sense. (laughs) Well, now since Lance did that, I was like, okay, I got to go talk to Dwayne. So I see him. It's one of the night practices. It's a beautiful night. I walk up to Dwayne and Dwayne at this time is like 330.
3: He is jacked. And I'm like, not a, and not a fat 330. all muscle. He's an athletic specimen. Yeah. Like you, I mean,
0: unbelievable. And so I said, um, I said, Hey, Dwayne, I said, I'm, and he had a smile on, on his face. And I said, Hey, I'm John Harris from 1560. And all of a sudden this smile turned to a scowl. And he looks at me and he goes, Heard you don't like me very much. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy's about to strangle me. And all of a sudden I see this sly smile on his face. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, there was a time when I didn't, but you know what? I really like you right now. And from that point forward, it's funny because I learned I learned a lesson that day. First of all, don't lose your you know what on the radio. But I've told Dwayne this, and over the years, Dwayne and I got to be, you know, we got to be friends, and we've talked about that on the air. Like, we've talked about that moment on the air, and he's heard it, which I'm like, oh, man. Because what I learned was, A, when you have that sort of athletic ability, and B, you want it. You want it. And C, you've got the desire to go get it. You will. And that's what Dwayne taught me was – Athletic traits matter, but so does grit, guile, and absolute determination. Because if you put all that together, and that and it's funny because I use that same sort of thought process with DK Metcalf. Like everybody's saying, Oh, DK's gonna fall, DK's gonna fall. I'm like, look, well, hold on. He's got athletic skills through the roof, and this dude wants it. He wants to play football. His dad was a pro. This is what he absolutely desires. To be, this isn't about money for him. This is about him being the best receiver ever. Those things are going to come together and make him a great player. Ironically, he goes to Seattle where Dwayne is now, mm-hmm. and Dwayne and I have, have talked about that over the years. And uh, yeah, like I said, he's he's told me he's heard it, and he kind of laughs at it. And I hope one day when he does retire, he can come back to Houston and when we can celebrate him, and I could give him one last you know dap up and say I was wrong. And I told him numerous times. I think I see it probably the fourth thing that goes with it is you know, all those things. But the fourth thing, and probably and I don't know why it's my favorite, but it's like, you know, if you miss, you miss, you know, say it, say you're wrong. And I, I was wrong. I was so dead wrong. He
3: had, yeah, he's turned out to be so good. He's I mean, so good. A, basically he's so a decade good. with the Texans. He's the yep. greatest offensive lineman in team history, still pumping it out at a high, high level in, in Seattle. That guy, wow. So there was one
0: small, there was one small appendix to that story. So, I think, was it 15 or 16? It was 15. It was 15 when he got hurt. Yep. So in that game against Jacksonville, he comes out of the locker room and he's on crutches. And I see him after I've done my interviews before the media gets in there and I see him on crutches and my heart just bled for him, man. I was just like, oh man, I know he wants to be there. I know he wants to be in this playoff game. And I just was like, I walked up to him. I didn't know what to say. And I just was like, man, I'm so sorry, man. Love you, bro. And I just walked away. That was all I could, that's all I could say to him. And I think he kind of looked at me like, wait, did he say like, love you, bro. And I was like, yeah, I said it, you know, and he just kind of <laughs> smiled and kind of waved me off. I didn't know what to say to him. And I just felt so bad for him, but um, he's, he was uh, he's a great player here and he's been a great player and taught me a lot of lessons. So that's my favorite. Now that I can tell that story, what yeah. you know, 13 years later at the time, over the next couple of years as he's turning into a great player, maybe look like somewhat of a fool in some sense, but I mean, hopefully <laughs> we've uh, all been know, fools. the best person about it was Dwayne Brown. And that, that also tells you a story too, that, you know, somebody can say something bad about you, but you can prove them otherwise and prove them wrong. And that's always a
3: good feeling. So hopefully he feels good that he proved me wrong. <laughs> Indeed. So uh, that's our, our uh, kind of look back at some of the fun stuff. Cause you're going to hear about uh, who might be available for the Texans at 67. There's lots of guys. There's lots of options. Going to be fun to see what Nick Casario does moving down, moving up. Maybe, I don't know. I would think if it's a move up, it's for next year's draft and yeah. uh, maybe capitalizing on some stuff there, but I'm ready. It's exciting. Uh, draft week is here. I know the Texans don't have the first or the second, but I'm still pumped. It's going to be another crop of eight faces to add to the 78 that have come in this off season. So I'm pumped. You yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready just to kind of see where everybody ends up.
0: And I think about this a lot during draft time, Drew, is these young players are going through their – you know, going through the paces, and I always – you know, I see a player. And, I, like, I'm looking at, at uh, you know, my Harris 100 right now, and I'm like, where does Jalen Waddle go? You know, where does he end up? You know, he's a Houston kid. He's from Episcopal. He loves Houston, loved the Texans growing up. Yeah. You know, where does he end up? And then kind of envisioning him – in that Jersey and then envisioning him in that offense. And then it comes to fruition. And you're like, Whoa, I didn't see that one at all. You know? And there's right. something that you're like, yeah, you know, like Brian Cushing, like I, for weeks and months, I was Cushing the Texans. Like, I think we all knew it was coming. So you kind of foresaw that. And then it came to fruition and you're like, yeah, A to B. But then there are some, you're like, don't see coming. And you're like, yeah. yo, I did not see that happening at all. Uh, And that's what kind of makes it fun. It's like unwrapping all the different gifts, 259 of them for NFL teams coming up on Thursday.
3: Indeed. You'll be at it. We're going to be live, you and I, Thursday night as well as Friday night and Saturday morning because we'll have pre-draft shows. It's going to be a good time. And then you'll be on the radio all the way through the draft. So uh, get the throat lozenges, get the honey, consult with Dr. Vandermeer, (laughs) uh, bootleg doctor, as we like to call him. He's got a bootleg MD. And yeah. uh, we'll have a good time, man. It's uh, it's here, and thank goodness it is.
0: Drew probably said it best right there at the end. Thank goodness it's here. Throughout the week, I've been watching different Twitter accounts put out, "Oh, this is the day such and such got drafted. This day, how many years ago this guy got drafted?" I'm like, man, the draft is late this year. End of April on into May. Oh, I knew there was a point about a week ago where I was like, I'm just done, man. I'm I'm done. I'm ready. Let's just let's do this thing. Let's grind it up. Let's get all 32 teams together and let's just do this thing a little bit early. Obviously, that didn't take place, which is good, because now we're on the same page for tomorrow. We can look forward to that and what's going to happen. Now, there were a few teams heading into this offseason that you knew were looking for quarterbacks. The Jags, one team. The Jets, a team. The Panthers, a team. The Broncos, one. 49ers potentially, and it turns out that they were, all looking for a quarterback. Well, there have been some quarterback dominoes that have fallen, and another one fell, eh, kinda, I guess, this afternoon. What does it mean? We'll talk about the Broncos trade for Teddy Bridgewater as we go around the NFL next right here on Texas All Access. On Texas All Access on Texas All Access. Welcome back everybody this final segment of this Wednesday night edition, a draft eve edition of Texans All Access readying you for the craziness, the chaos, the real that tomorrow becomes Thursday night NFL draft. Where do these players end up? We'll at least know the first 32. Which to me is always, I always like at the end of the night going, okay, Here are the 32 players that have come off the board. Oh, man, this guy's still on the board? Wow, this guy's still on the board? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Okay, is there an issue? One of the things to keep in mind with this draft as I bring you back in, me being your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. Study the draft, left, right, up, down, all kinds of ways. And one of the things that us in the media and in the building even, if we're not subject to this information, is the medical information. The medical information can play a big role, and that hasn't been as readily available this year because there was no centralized combine. Now, about 150 prospects went up to Indianapolis about two and a half, three weeks ago and went through the battery of tests, you know, the medical tests, all that kind of stuff, but it's only 150. Combine, it's usually 350. So you have a pretty good bead on the medical information. And I, I've had this conversation with a few buddies of mine. I've heard people talk about this on the air. I've read um, some some scouts that are now in the media and you know guys like Daniel Jeremiah, etc. They've talked about this. Do not be surprised if you see a guy drafted and then, oh yeah, he's going to have shoulder surgery or he's going to have a toe ish uh, you know surgery or so, something along those lines. It's going it's going to happen. And without the combine, that centralized medical information could create a situation where at the end of night one, you're going, hey man, this guy didn't get drafted. And all of a sudden, after day two, you're going, wait a second, this guy I thought was pretty good. Top 100 picks gone off the board. He's still there? Whoa, what's going on? Maybe it's medical situation. Not a guarantee, but medical situations always pop up. Now, a quarterback who once had a very tricky medical situation, Teddy Bridgewater, was in, I believe it was his second, maybe third year with the Minnesota Vikings, and in practice, just shredded his knee. Completely shredded it, and it didn't, oh boy, is he going to come back from that? He ended up rehabbing, I think, for a couple years. Then he ended up going to New Orleans, then he spent last year with the uh, Carolina Panthers. The started quarterback there, but David Tepper, the owner, Matt Rule, uh, head coach, very clear about the fact that they did not see Teddy Bridgewater as the future going forward. They felt like he did all he could do with Joe Brady's offense there in Carolina, but it was time to move on. So the Panthers were looking for a quarterback. And when Deshaun Watson asked for a trade, Carolina was the one spot I felt like, man, that that could be a spot – and there were other teams apparently there was in, that were interested etc well when the legal situation happened other teams i don't want to say they were scrambling but you started seeing different maneuvering you saw San Francisco trade from 12 to go up to 3 and they had to give up a kings ransom to do it you saw the panthers sitting at number 8 in this draft decide man we got to go get we got to go get a quarterback, we got to get somebody we don't not going to have teddy I don't know if we're going to get these guys. Let's go get Sam Darnold. Now, Sam's got two years left on his deal. They're going to wait and see if they're going to exercise that fifth year. But it's kind of a, I don't want to say a wait and see with Darnold, but there's not a huge financial stake in Sam Darnold. If it goes left, they're going to be looking for a quarterback again in 2022. I've said that before. Could happen. I hope Sam does well. I still think the world of Sam, and I think if he gets good coaching with Joe Brady, he'll get it with some weapons around him. He kind of calms his mind and gets a little protection in front of him. I think Sam will be okay. But the Denver Broncos, then, as we play quarterback dominoes, the Jets with number two, probably going to take, well, we know they're taking a quarterback. Is it Zach Wilson, Justin Fields? It doesn't matter, really, for this purposes of this conversation. But they're going to take a quarterback that made Darnold expendable. When Donald goes to Carolina, now Teddy Bridgewater's expendable. The Broncos called up and said, hey, man, we'll give you a six-rounder. You send us Teddy Bridgewater. Carolina says, got it. Carolina's paying $7 million. To Bridgewater's $10 million in guaranteed money for 2021. So the Broncos get themselves Teddy Bridgewater, guy that started in the league. He comes to either take the job from Drew Locke, compete for the job with Drew Locke, or both of them sit behind a rookie that the Broncos draft. And that is what makes, to me, this draft pretty interesting because even with those two trades, the Jets and Panthers sending Darnold, the Jets sending Darnold to the Panthers, the Panthers sending Bridgewater to the Broncos, have they, in some sense, just rearranged the deck chairs on the Titanic? Meaning, have they found the guy for the future, or is that just sort of a placeholder that if Things happen in this draft and there's a quarterback that falls to Carolina at eight and they're going, oh my gosh, I didn't think Trey Lance was going to be there. They jump all over it. Or at nine with the Broncos, oh my gosh, the Panthers because of Darnold passed and now Trey Lance is sitting in our laps. Those moves will not preclude those teams from taking a quarterback, which to me makes it really interesting how those teams are going to address the quarterback situation and maybe they don't even have that opportunity. Maybe four guys are off the board in the first four. Maybe Atlanta makes a deal. Maybe Atlanta takes Justin Fields if he's there. Maybe. Now, Matt Ryan's contract is onerous. It's going to be onerous next year as well. They're going to have to figure that out. But at some point, they're going to have to cut bait with Matt Ryan. They're already going to have to cut bait with Julio Jones. Maybe they maybe they make a draft pick of Justin Fields, who's from... Georgia, Harrison, Georgia, where he played high school ball, was the number one recruit in the country at that point. That all said, it'll be very intriguing from three, where the draft seemingly starts, as everybody says, if Lawrence and Wilson go one and two as we expect. What happens at three? I still think it's Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I do not think it's Mac Jones. I think it's a big smoke screen, And then it gets all kinds of crazy. What happens? One of those teams, Denver or Carolina, move up to go get the fourth quarterback. What do they do? It is going to be a blast this weekend to see how it all works out. And, of course, for your Texans, eight picks on the docket might be less. They could pick up some draft capital next year. They might get a few more. We'll see. It's going to be fun, no doubt about it. Appreciate you guys listening. Big thanks to Mark, to Drew, the GM Nick Casario. It's a big weekend for him, I know, and we'll talk to him throughout the weekend. But to you guys, you are the best. Y'all follow us, you listen to us, and support us, and we can't thank you enough. Producers, back at 610. Eddie, you the man. We'll see you guys tomorrow right here on Sports Radio 610, starting at 6 o'clock.
3: See you then, everybody, and as always, go Texans.